Coming up on this episode of Fear Not, the podcast that tells us why we're afraid of all the wrong things. Trending this week, fear alcohol, all of it. Beware the Grand Canyon, it's killing people. Blowing out birthday candles spreads deadly germs. Trump's constant lies are really bad for us. And our weekly feature, Fear Florida, the whole state. That and so much more is coming up on Fear Not. Today is gonna be a good day. Don't care what anybody else say. Oh, I don't need a fortune cookie to tell me the way I'm feeling. Gonna be a good day. A good day. Welcome to the first episode of our new podcast, Fear Not. Every week, we do our best to debunk all of the trending, fear-mongering stories that make us want to hide under the covers and end it all. I'm Alonzo Bowden, comedian, sort of an actor, and definitely a super fan of my co-host, Dr. Barry Glasner, the world's foremost expert on fear and fear-mongering. Hey, Barry, you scared hey. today? Uh, no, no. Barry literally wrote the book on fear, the international bestseller called The Culture of Fear, and why Americans are afraid of the wrong things. And this literally is my job. This is my life's work. I'm a sociologist who goes around and explores fears that are promoted, how they're promoted, and whether we should be afraid of them. Someone is almost always trying to make us afraid. And here's a spoiler alert. It's usually for their own personal gain. It's like you talk about in your comedy. You do it a little differently than I do it. You're funny. It's kind of the difference. I love your bit, for example, about Ebola being time for the election. Well, you know, that, that fear bit was for my personal gain. I did make some money off of it. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying, Barry, is when we get these fears, when they try to scare us, we should follow the money? Yeah, but it's not only about money. Sometimes it's about power. Sometimes it's about religion. Sometimes it's about politics. But someone always has an agenda. Every week, Barry and I are going to get together to talk about the week's scariest stories trending on social media. For instance, did you know that three people have died falling into the Grand Canyon? I love this story. I can't wait to talk about how the Grand Canyon suddenly became incredibly dangerous. We also want to talk to you listeners about what's scaring you. So tweet us at Fear Not Official. Barry, let's get this started. Absolutely. Here it is, the headline, third death in three weeks at the Grand Canyon. That's right, people are dying falling into the Grand Canyon. You know what pisses me off about this story? They're acting like it's a tragedy. How about stupid people walk off the edge of the Grand Canyon? I mean, there are signs that say, do not pass this point, right? If, if I'm at the Grand Canyon, I'm just gonna watch the mules and the donkeys. When they stop walking, you stop walking. You've never read a story about a mule wandering off the edge of the Grand Canyon. <laughs> what are these people doing, Barry? What is going on? But you know, it says in the article, and this is a quote, people often visit parks without fully understanding what the risks are. They don't understand a sign that says do not... I mean, this, this is a thing, and it's not just at the Grand Canyon, right? We have, in this era of social media and selfies, People dying stupid. I want to get a picture. I have to get closer to the edge of the Grand Canyon than someone who took the selfie before me. I, I don't understand the fear part of this when there are signs, there are railings. We had the woman who, who got too close to the Jaguar, right? Because they had signs <laughs> and a fence saying, hey, there's a Jaguar in here. And she was like, 
Oh, is that where they keep cars? Barry, can stupid people just die? Can we not have a fear and just maybe look at this as Darwinism? Who is doing this and why is it happening? So this guy who I was just quoting before, he also says, visitors should spend some time before they go to fully understand what the safety hazards may be and share that information with their family. I'm going to sit down with my family and share that information. He's from something called the Coalition to Protect America's National Parks. And the goal of that organization is to protect not just the national parks, but park service employees, current and former employees. Uh, so the article has something to do with that. I think it's also in there now because this is the beginning of, you know, summer park visiting seasons coming up. So is this guy and his group, are they the ones with the agenda? Because they're making it sound like if you go to the Grand Canyon, you're going to die. And and what are the true risks? I'm imagining not that many people die. Go. I mean, the Grand Canyon gets millions of visitors, doesn't it? If, if we lose three, well, okay. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I hear you. I mean, but what happens here is people read the scary headline, people killed at Grand Canyon, right? And they don't bother to look at those kinds of numbers. What it does is it makes for clickbait. It's a great story because it sounds scary when it's not scary. So it's good for this guy who's promoting employees at the canyon, but it's also good for any news outlet that's doing it because it gets them eyeballs. Okay, so what do you think his agenda is? I think his agenda is, uh, you know, to protect... Uh, the employees and keep people employed in the national parks. But the reality is, let's look at what actually happened. 2018, last year, there were 17 fatalities at the Grand Canyon, over 6 million visitors in 2018. So that puts your chances, take out a calculator, puts your chances of dying in the Grand Canyon at about one in 400,000. Right? Okay, so, those, <laughs> so the odds are pretty good that if you go to the Grand Canyon, you're going to be okay. Now, I imagine those odds would even be higher if you're intelligent enough to read a sign that says, <laughs> don't step over here, don't lean over here, et cetera, et cetera. Your odds of dying while you're driving to the Grand Canyon in your car ride are 5,000 times more likely than that you're going to die at the Grand Canyon. So the whole story is BS. So if you make it to the Grand Canyon, you can just exhale like, whew, I made it here alive. Absolutely. Because it was more dangerous to get there. Yeah, unless you take one of those planes, you know, those aircraft that drive over and you get a great view. Because there were 379 deaths attributed to that. But if, if you actually get there, you're, you're probably in pretty good shape, Alonzo. Okay, listeners, don't go to the Grand Canyon. Go to a gang-infested neighborhood. It actually sounds safer than... <laughs> no, I mean, this, this is what we're talking about, though, right? So, third death in three weeks at Grand Canyon scares you. You're going you're gonna to say, I don't know if I want to take the family to the Grand Canyon. It's dangerous. But the truth is, it's not really that dangerous, and it's, it's more dangerous driving the family to the Grand Canyon than being at the Grand Canyon. Yeah, grand total, what is it, I think 20 people fell off. <laughs> uh, most of the other deaths that occurred were from all kinds of natural causes. People had heart attacks and stuff like that, which no sign is really going to, you know, take care of that well unless, you know, unless it's something like be sure to uh, get more exercise. With all due respect, I've, I've seen the age of many in the RV community. <laughs> 
and some of those deaths got to be of natural causes. Like if you're if you're 97 years old driving an RV to the to the Grand Canyon and you pass away, I don't think we can blame that one on the Grand Canyon. So Alonzo, what do you think? The Grand Canyon, fear or fear not? I don't fear the Grand Canyon. As I said, I follow the mules. And and if the mule isn't walking over the railing, I'm not walking over the railing and I think I'll be okay. No, I am not afraid of the Grand Canyon. What about you? I'm really not afraid of the Grand Canyon. I am afraid of not bringing enough water to the Grand Canyon and hydrating not enough. Otherwise, I'm not afraid of the Grand Canyon. All right, want to go to the next one? Let's move on. So here's a great here's a great headline. This one's this story was trending. No amount of alcohol is safe. Health experts warn. Now I don't know if you saw this, Alonzo, but it was it was all over the internet lately and. I have a couple of friends who sent it to me because they know that I like a good bottle of wine. But apparently, if this story is true, no amount of alcohol is okay. No amount. And one problem I have with this, I'll tell you right up front, is that that's in conflict with a whole lot of other stories that say that drinking in moderation is actually good for you. It can boost your health. Here's the thing, and, and I have a personal view on this, okay? As someone who's been in recovery and I haven't had a drink in over 30 years and I've been all right, but I don't think alcohol is dangerous. Now, I don't think you should be drinking and walking along the rim of the Grand Canyon. That might not work <laughs> out too well, but no, there, there's always something, right? So, so eggs, okay. For first eggs were good for you. Then we had to eat the egg white. You had to separate the yolk because the yolk of the egg was going to kill you. Then, then they were like, no, it's okay. The yolks will be fine and you can eat the eggs and you should have them with kale because kale's really, whoa, wait a minute, kale's going to kill you. So now you, you've got eggs out to kill you. You got kale and then wine was good for the heart, right? It was like one glass a day or something like that was good for the heart. And, and now no alcohol at all. Just like anything else, I think you have to inject common sense, right? So, so alcohol isn't going to kill you but getting drunk every night is probably not a good idea. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say that that's more? And also in reading this, some of the things they were talking about, it wasn't just the alcohol. It was the impaired decisions made under the influence of alcohol that are also dangerous. So, you know, driving drunk, that's all attributed to it. But I wouldn't say that's a direct health result of alcohol. Now, actually, the greatest, uh, the greatest number of alcohol-related deaths among young people were for tuberculosis, road injuries, uh, self-harm, that kind of thing. You know why? You know why it's tuberculosis? Because if you're drunk, you're dumb enough to vape. Now <laughs> you're, in, you're inhaling some steamed, hot steamed chemicals. This can't be bad for me. Yeah, it can. <laughs> but, but again, and you talked about this, and this is imp uh, an important thing. Young people that they're talking about under 25 and also probably teenage drinking on people who aren't going to make the best decisions. So they, they, they try to project this as if it's a medical thing that alcohol is bad for you. But really what they're saying is decisions under the influence of alcohol, right? I mean, and that is a young people thing. I mean, you make more mistakes drunk at 25, hopefully, than you would drinking at 45. Or, or someone like you who, who likes good food and good wine, and, and that's why you drink it. Or is that just what you're telling us, Barry? Is there a problem? There's a phone number you can dial. <laughs> Uh, no problem so far. No problem so far. But, you know, there are real problems with people who drink too much. Uh, and obviously, when they say in the study, no amount of alcohol, that's true for some people. You know, if you're in recovery, no amount of alcohol is good advice, right? That's good advice. 
But what the real problem is, is people who drink too much, and especially when they drive, that's something that it really creates issues. This study doesn't get into that, right? It doesn't get into the 11,000 Americans who die each year from drunk drivers. And that's a real thing. And what bothers me is why not talk about focus on that? I would say that you could apply this to anything, right? Any vice could be bad for you. I mean, you know, no chocolate. Like if you lived your life and never ate chocolate, that would probably be a little healthier, right? Or, or if you lived your life and you never ate meat, you never had a hamburger, that would probably be healthier than people who do eat meat. And if you live your life and you never had a drink, yeah, that would probably be healthier than someone who had a drink. But isn't that a bit unrealistic? I mean, at what point do you end up living in just a white room with no furniture eating air, <laughs> which is actually how some of the women I've dated in L.A. live. But that's, uh, again, a different episode. This is really just about your wine habit, isn't it, Barry? This is just something <laughs> that you are trying to justify spending way too much money on wine that's supposed to be really good and from France. Because I got friends who drank wine and, you know, it's much cheaper in a can. I'm just trying to help you. <laughs> with all the money you're throwing away. You just get a good box of wine and save some cash, Barry. Actually, what this study really found, if you dig into it, is that heavy drinking's bad for you. Light drinking may be risky for some people, but for most people, light drinking is actually good for you. The thing I found most funny about this story is that the professor who did this found the same thing that everybody had before, pretty much, that it has benefits also. They don't talk about that in the article, that right? That well, doesn't you, go around. You bring up a good point, and, and I didn't know you had done this, but that does make sense. So if you're paid to write a study, then your your findings are going to kind of lean toward whoever's paying you. Yeah, which is why you got to get funded by people who don't have any stake in it at all, right? All right. Fear so, or fear not, Barry, should, should I be afraid of, of alcohol? You should not. Okay. Well, you should a little well, bit. Well, me, I, I, again, I, I know my problems, but... For the, the average person, and it's interesting you brought up what is light drinking and heavy drinking. Really quick, I just want you, what's your personal thing? How much is light drinking? How much is heavy drinking? Light drinking is a few, uh, a few glasses a week. But I'll tell you a thing that's really good for people. There's a study out of Yale, my favorite study on all of this, that shows that people who go to wine tastings are helping their brain a lot. It challenges your brain more than doing math problems and stuff like that that I don't like. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that was ridiculous. Drinking wine is better than studying math. Would you stop it? <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we have a caller. Alex, you've got something you're afraid of in Minnesota. Hey, Alonzo and Barry. So uh, my question's about my birthday. It's coming up this weekend and uh, my aunt actually sent me this article that said that blowing uh, your birthday candles out increases the bacteria on the cake by like a thousand percent or something. Uh, I'm kind of a germaphobe. Is this something I should be concerned about? Like, uh, should I not have a cake? Should I do something else? Um, I'd love to know what you guys think. Thanks. Bye. Alex, I'm going to lead off with saying you sound way too old to have candles on your birthday cake. Okay. But this, I, I have heard about this. This came up that parents are scared that when, you know, the little kids blow out the, the birthday candles, suddenly there's going to be thousand, per, like he said, a thousand percent increase in germs on the birthday cake and, and it's bad for the kids. What's going on with this, Barry? 
Well, you know, this was a scary story, right? You, the headline says, blowing out can- birthday candles increases cake bacteria by 1,400%. <laughs> That's very scary. And so I looked up, because this is what I do, right? I looked up what the actual study's title was. Because oftentimes it's not the same thing. This was scary too. Bacterial transfer associated with blowing out candles on a birthday cake. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we're getting into bacterial transfer. I'm now. I'm actually getting nervous. So what? What's going on? All right. Well, first I would say to you, think of all the people you know who've died from birthday cakes, right? Yeah. I. Uh, this. This is what I think. That little kids, okay, when little kids, they're germ factories, right? I had a friend and we were at her kid's birthday party was at one of those places where they bounce around on trampolines and they dive into the the ball pit. And and she's worried about her kid getting his hands dirty. And and I said, you know, when you're not around, your child eats dirt. Like literally (laughs) just will scoop up dirt and eat it. So I think the kid will survive. Aren't kids around germs all the time? Is this an unusual occurrence? Yeah, they are, you know. And we have bacteria in our bodies anyway, right? The question is, does it do anything? So what's really cool about this study, when you dig into it, is how it came about. That's what I think is actually the cool part. So the professor who did this, uh, he's a professor of food safety at Clemson University. And what he was trying to do was to get his students to not be so bored with conducting lab studies, you know, his job is to get them to do these things. So he wanted to find a way to make it fun and interesting to him. And first he gave them pizza, which he said was, quote, to help the salivary glands get going, (laughs) okay? So they got to enjoy some pizza and then they got to do this study. And his actual conclusion was a little different than the attention-grabbing headlines. Here's what he said. It's not a big health concern. In reality, if you did this 100,000 times, then the chance of getting sick would probably be very minimal because our mouths are teeming with bacteria and most of them are not harmful anyway. So, and, and this is a great way to hold a study, just have a pizza birthday party at class. <laughs> uh, so what you're saying is there isn't really a danger. Now, when they come up with a number, then the number here is 1,400%. 1,400% of what compared to what? How do they come up with that number? Is it is there an ordinary acceptable amount of germs or bacteria on a birthday cake? Yeah, it's where it was before anybody did anything to it, right? But, you know, so what, what does it really mean? Well, one thing it really, really means, Alonzo, is that this is a great opportunity for, for somebody to make money on this, right? How do you make money on this? It's actually happened. It's actually happened. There's a patent that exists for what's called sanitary birthday cake cover and candle system, which is a cake holder and a cover that has holes in it for the candles. So Alex, if you're listening, you can uh, apparently buy a plastic cover for your birthday cake and then you put the candles into the plastic cover and then you blow out the candles and then you enjoy yourself. That's pretty much right. I mean, the only concern you really should have, I think, is if the birthday boy or girl is is really sick, then you should probably be afraid of them doing this. I think I made my viewpoint pretty clear. What do you say, Alonzo? I have a bigger fear of the caller. (laughs) I have a bigger fear of Alex, someone in there, sound like in their mid-30s, blowing out birthday candles. No, I, I don't think there's anything to be afraid of. I think kids uh, bounce around and get germs and, and that all the time. All right. Down in Florida, we welcome you to the Sunshine State. Okay, Barry, this is time for my absolute favorite segment. This is going to be a weekly thing we simply call Fear Florida. 
There's all kind of crazy in Florida. You should be afraid. All right. So this was trending on Twitter. I love this thing. People go to Google and just type in these words, actually. Florida man, and then put your birthday. You don't have to put the birth year. Just put your birthday. Uh, And you're going to find a crazy Florida story of the week. I did it while you're looking up yours. And here's what came up. Florida man's murder was really elaborate suicide by balloon. And then the story says that this man attached a gun to the balloon, ran a string from the trigger to his finger, and shot himself (laughs) with the balloon carrying away the weapon and the string dragging the line of blood across his sweatshirt. That's the one for my birthday. Okay, well, while you were talking, I looked up my birthday, and we've got two. One Florida man asked cops to test his illegal drugs because who would know better whether or not your illegal drugs are good quality illegal (laughs) drugs or just sort of illegal drugs. And this one also came up. A Florida man with no arms charged with stabbing a Chicago tourist. (laughs) How bad is your luck? You're in Chicago, the the shooting capital of America. You go on vacation to Florida and you get stabbed by a man with no arms. I think at that point, it's safe to say God's out to get you. Like that was personal. That was, yeah. And that's an only in Florida story. Oh, where else are you going to get stabbed? By a man with no arms. All right. So we've also got, each week we're going to have one, right? Which one did we select for this week, Alonzo? This week, ladies and gentlemen, a Florida man calls 911 to get out of his fast food shift. And it worked. (laughs) Well, sort of worked. A Florida man didn't want to go to work, so he called 911 and he reported that he was a victim of an armed robbery And the police showed up and in talking to him within minutes, they knew he was lying. They knew that that this didn't happen and so on. And and he cracked under tough questioning and said that he just didn't want to go to work that day. Now, I don't know where he's working or how bad the job had to be, but... um, what, what do you think on this, Barry? Well, I mean, he was working at Hardee's, I think, if I remember it right. So how bad must it be to work at Hardee's? Shouldn't he be more afraid of lying to the police than lying to his boss? Like, would, wouldn't you be better off just lying to the manager of Hardee's and saying, I'm not coming to work? Versus lying to the police and saying, I got robbed. Maybe I just have a fear of the police. I mean, maybe, you know, he should just learn how to disguise his voice a little bit, right? And then he wouldn't have to call 911. Although I kind of like this idea that, you know, he calls the police to do this work for him, right? No, this is a guy who's just not thinking. Or maybe he's run out of excuses. Maybe, you know, he's already had his parents die. His tortoise got sick. His his cousin's brother's friend was in the hospital but maybe he's just run out of excuses and he just said i'm gonna go with uh, fake armed robbery the best excuse i ever heard from a student for not taking an exam in one of my classes was but my family goes skiing at this time every year long before we had the scandal of rich parents getting their dumb kids into college you apparently had super rich kids where ski vacation is a legitimate excuse for not taking a test right These are some rich kids you were dealing with, Barry. (laughs) So here's the question, though, for us on these segments always. Fear Florida? Long before this story, I feared Florida. Yes, yes, you, you should fear Florida. How about you? Do you fear Florida? I have always, it's true, feared Florida, and I grew up in the South. So absolutely, absolutely. 
I know this is going to be tough for you, Barry. You're going to have a hard time believing this, but apparently uh, Trump has lied again. No. Yeah, no. I know. I know. No, no. Come on. Um, come on. What did, he, what did Trump he... claims that his dad was born in Germany for the third time. I mean, Germany, honestly, is not paying their fair share. I have great respect for Angela, and I have great respect for the country. My father is German, right? Was German. And uh, born in a, a very wonderful place in Germany. And so I have a great feeling for Germany. But they're not paying what they should be paying. They're paying close to 1%. Can we start with who's Angela? <laughs> what the hell is an Angela? Can we start there? <laughs> <laughs> with this, 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 you know, we, well, I'm trying to keep the podcast. I mean, you're a college professor, but this is bullshit. Okay. <laughs> this is, I'm trying to keep it highbrow, but this, this, okay. Here's the fear that I want to talk about. Should we fear his followers? Should we fear people who listen to something like this and you know, it's bullshit yet they absolutely stand behind him and will argue with you that this is somehow truth. So he averaged six lies a day. The first year he was in office, he made it up to 16 a day in his second year, but now he's really good. He's averaging 22 lies a day. He's getting he's getting really, really good at that. And, and, and you know, one reason I'm saying this is to answer your question also. It's just become normal. But that's, that's the bad thing, that it has become normal. Now, I know they're going to say, well, all politicians lie. And that, that is true. I, I said it a long time ago in a joke. All politicians lie and you just pick the liar whose lies fit you, right? They're, they're going to promise you, you know, and they're going to promise you the moon. But he lie. He just makes up things that that like there's no reason it matters if your father was born in Germany. Like, why would someone lie like this? What is going on with this that you would just make up something like this? And why do people believe it and follow him? Well, it totally works for him. Two thirds of the people who voted, not just who voted for Trump, two thirds said that Trump was neither honest nor trustworthy. And of that group, about one in five voted for Trump. So it's just kind of like baked in, you know, at this point. So what does it do for him? It allows him to create an alternative universe that he lives in and that these people get to live in and it works for them. They like the universe they're living in that he's created. Okay, but you, you brought up an important, interesting and important point. You said that it's become normal. He's lied so much that, that it's become, is this good for our society? Like for instance, for kids, okay, little kids, if they want to just lie, like we, you've always had the case where a kid tells a, a, a blatant lie and the parent or the teacher or somebody's like, come on, tell us the truth. But now if this becomes normal, if this is normalized, if this is excused, how do you teach people like it's not okay? No, exactly. See, I think Trump's lying. People pay way too much attention to it that, at this point. It's not going to change. It's getting worse. But what about the effects of that lying? And big ones for kids. How do you teach kids to not lie when the president lies all the time and he's making it seem normal? What do you do? How do you do that? I think that's really dangerous. I think it's dangerous in other settings too, not just with kids, by the way. People are doing it all kinds of places. That I think is a danger. I don't know that we need to be fearful of it, but that's a danger. What about, and this is some kind of weird strategy where he lies, so he accuses the other person of lying, like the media, the whole fake news thing. I mean, he's lying and, and then he claims fake news when that news was actually the truth. How did we get lost in this? And what do you think of the media now 
where they say, well, we're not going to cover his rallies because it's just a lie fest. Yeah, well, a couple things. I mean, whether they should cover his rallies, right? They're supposed to cover news <laughs> and his rallies are typically not news. They can just do a summary of that. But here's the thing to keep in, in mind. You know, you're talking about where did it all come from and, and all that. He is not the first liar president. This is something that people forget. You know, I count these things and I have to tell you at this point, he's the most lying. Pre what is that? The lyingest president. But he was not the first. A lot of liberals still love Bill Clinton, right? I have fond memories of Bill Clinton. He lied. Yeah, but Bill lied about getting a blowjob after fixing the economy. That's a lie we can live with. If, if, if Honestly, I mean, that's the truth. <laughs> Bill Clinton, as president, did a great job. Mm -hmm. I mean, to, to, to eliminate the national debt, etc. So people were like, all right, well, yeah. And as a comic at the time, we, we, it was the truth. It was like, listen, you, you do that good a job. We can overlook a blow job. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you deserve a reward, but Trump is not a great president. He's just a liar, right? But that's what his supporters say the same thing. They say, look at all the great things this man has done, that he's turned the economy around, they say, the stock market's way up. He's making uh, people safe again from these caravans of immigrants. You know, they have a long list like that, right? And he's not, by the way, the first who lied about immigrants. That goes back a long way in America. There is a lot of fear-mongering about immigrants before this. Okay, well, I don't know if you're aware of this, but, but the immigrant caravan only shows up a month before an election. And I believe they're bringing the <laughs> Ebola now. Yeah, the immigrant caravan is is bringing the Ebola, which will be cured with SARS and so on. If you're wondering what I'm talking about, look it up, Google me. It's a great bit from my first special. Uh, but the, the examples you just gave, a lot of those aren't true. I mean, the economic growth started under Barack Obama, which they hate to hear and has just continued. In other words, the best Trump has done is not destroy progress that was already there. And and the fear of immigrants is actually just a cover for racism and xenophobia, right? I mean, the, the, right. the Latin immigrants aren't, and, and I talk about this all the time, no different than the European immigrants just a hundred years later, right? So a hundred years from now, we're going to be making great movies about the Mexican mafia, right? Because the mob are heroes now, and they, they were actually criminal immigrants that came from Europe. So is there any truth to battle these lies? Do we need to fear this? Is Have we lowered the standard of, of what is considered true and what people will believe? I don't know that we have in general. You know, for Trump, we definitely have. But look, 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 look. we're being too hard on him, Alonso. Did you follow up, follow through with what he did after that, right? So he said that thing. I'm going to stop you right there and just say that in talking to a black person, there's no such thing as we're being too hard on Trump <laughs> because we still remember how Barack Obama was judged and he did a good job. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. No, finish I'm, your point. I'm sorry. I, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. But he, he you know, Trump corrected this thing about his father. Did you know that? He, th he then stopped saying that he was from Germany. He said he was from Brooklyn. Fred Trump is actually from the Bronx, but you know, come on, he's getting closer. He's getting, he's getting closer, closer right? but this is the third time that he's brought him in from Germany, and that's only because Putin didn't tell him to bring him from Russia, right? There you go. So fear or fear not Trump's lies. I don't fear Trump. I fear Trump supporters. I hear you. That's who I fear. I don't. I don't fear him. He's a joke, but I fear his uh, his supporters, and I really fear his judges.
I have to ask this because you are the expert. You are literally the man who wrote the book. Barry, what do you fear? What are you afraid of? Do you mean this book? Wow. We, we just happen to have a copy of this book handy. He wrote the book on fear. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, seriously, what I do fear, Alonzo? Measles. Really? Mm-hmm. There's been a huge increase in the cases. And uh, let's see, uh, two years ago, they rose 30% in a single year, just for as one example. That's serious business. Now, why is this happening? Why is it happening? Mostly because of the anti-vax movement. Now, the measles had to get in here, right? And so, you know, some people who traveled out of the U.S. came back with it. But it's mostly because of the anti-vaxxers. And you should fear anti-vaxxers. Anti-vaxxers are clear and present danger. No question about it. The World Health Organization, WHO, lists vaccine hesitancy as a top threat for 2019. And they got a lot of serious health threats that the World Health Organization deals with. Okay, so this this is something real. This isn't, you know, we, we laugh about things. We laugh about Florida and, you know, the, the birthday candles. But this is something real. Why is it we don't fear something that we really should fear. I mean, here's a disease that was pretty much eradicated from our society through vaccinating uh, everyone. And now some people have decided, well, I don't want to vaccinate my kids. And now this disease is back. And measles is a horrible disease. I mean, when they show somebody who has measles and goes through the advanced stages of it, this is a horrible thing. Why aren't we afraid of something it sounds like we really should be afraid of? That's exactly right. What I've been writing about and talking about for a long time is that Americans are afraid of the wrong things. And why? Because measles just sounds like, you know, it sounds like uh, what you get when you're a little kid, you know. I mean, I was talking with somebody the other day who remembers that their mother took them to birthday parties so that they would catch measles so that they would develop immunity to it. So in people's minds, it's not all that serious. Now, that's before the vaccine was working, right? But it doesn't seem all that dramatic. It doesn't seem like it's something that would grab attention. It doesn't work that well on cable news and around the Internet. Again, it's a new not having measles is normal. We went from, like you said, at a time when you took a kid to the party to get measles. Now. Now, I don't know anyone with measles. I've never known anyone in my life with measles. Uh, I don't know if you know anyone with measles. Why is that? Is that vaccine? Why did it go away? Yes. yes. It's because of the vaccine and that it was widely followed and because of some laws that helped make that happen. By the way, I should tell you, measles is about the most contagious germ pathogen on the planet. It's serious business. It really is. And before 1963, it infected 4 million people every year in the United States, just in the United States. And about 50,000 of those people in the U.S. ended up in the hospital. They had horrible symptoms. Pneumonia, brain inflammation came out of this sometimes. There were about 500 people who died each year for measles, right? And most of them, of course, were children, young children. And then what happened is the vaccine was introduced in 1963, and the annual count went down from about 4 million uh, measles cases to zero. Zero. And then you said that it increased 30% uh, a couple of years ago, right? So when are people going to wake up and be afraid again? We had cases up in Seattle area. We had them in LA, like wasn't Disneyland? Didn't a kid go to Disneyland and spread me? No knock against Disneyland because you want to talk about a sponsor. You don't want to knock. This will be our last podcast. <laughs> we just accidentally mentioned Disney. No, Disney um, company, right? How many, how many 
People were getting infected out of the U.S. and bringing it back was one thing that was happening. And then the anti-vaxxers aren't vaccinating. A lot of homeschooled kids are not vaccinated, for example. So, you know, there's there are requirements in all the U.S. states. There are laws that kids have to get vaccines if they go to college. I mean, if they go to school at all, right? But there are exceptions, right? So if you have a religious or a philosophical reason, you can get out of it. And that's what's happening. And it's very dangerous stuff. It's dangerous in this way that we're talking about, that these diseases come up, also because there's something that's called herd immunity. Okay, that's not H-E-A-R-D. It's like H-E-R-D. And the only way that, so that inoculations protect an entire community, very wide community, but only if enough people get it. So so explain, explain that a little uh, deeper. Would you say herd immunity? Right. So let's let's put it in terms of of a herd of animals, something we're we're familiar with. So there's a herd of antelope. How how do you make the entire herd immune to it? Right. So if almost all of them get the injection, right, and they're vaccinated, then it goes away, or they have more immunity to it. Once it falls below a certain level, then people are much more susceptible. And the thing that's really tragic about this is, you know, who it mostly affects, obviously young children, but other people too, anybody with a weakened immune system. So HIV AIDS patients, for example, are very susceptible to this. So this anti-vax movement, I mean, a lot of it came from celebrities. You know, unfortunately, we have this love of celebrity, so we believe celebrity over science. How do we get people to really fear this? You know, how do we make it sexy or whatever it takes to get people to, to understand like this is real and it's coming back. And it's not just celebrities, by the way, who are promoting it. The president of the United States promotes ants. Okay, so we have celebrities and idiots. Um, <laughs> go ahead. So we need some people who can get attention to talk about it more. That's one thing. But mostly we need to make it truly, truly illegal not to vaccinate your kid. You don't vaccinate your kid. There's serious consequences. You have to show that your kid was vaccinated. A lot of physicians are trying, are, are now enforcing this. But what has to happen is just like with any other public health measure, it has to be mandated. And once it's mandated, how do you follow up on that? How, I mean, you can't, obviously you can't watch and make sure. What, what do you do? How do you prove that your child's been vaccinated? Bring in the proof. And then if they don't do it, because you're always going to have these people who, who just, you know, they, they want to live on a compound with a militia or just want to just believe something they read. How do you penalize them for not doing it? What do you do? So I'm pretty radical on this one, Alonzo. I'd arrest them. Yeah, absolutely. Because they're a public health danger. When you arrest the parents, what happens to the child? Then they're going to, you know, be in uh, some other kind of care. But probably the parents at that point will do it. Or, you know, another alternative is you could uh, say that they have to get an injection they don't want. But I don't know if you can inject intelligence. Um, <laughs> oh, this, this is interesting because I have a friend who actually is going through this where they have a child and his wife is an anti-vaxxer and he wants to vaccinate the child. And he was like, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, listen, I don't have kids. And I sent him some articles about this. You know, you, you try to battle these things with science and intelligence, which has been your life, but the, but people are going to believe what they want to believe. And this is the big challenge for people like me. Uh, how much can you do just by talking to people and trying to convince them? It's difficult. But there are ways to do it. For example, if I were talking to your friend, suggest something he could say to his wife or partner, right? 
you're endangering our kid's life. Do you want to be responsible for that? Because I'm not going to be. Can you force an injection on a child? See, now I'm going to sound like one of these crazy conspiracists, but can we have the injection police that go to the house and hold you down and inject your kid with a vaccine? I think that's going to be hard. That's why I think there have to be penalties if you don't do it. Um, and you can imagine the email we're going to get <laughs> for this segment, because I've talked about this before. Anti-vaxxers are really active. Isn't that always the case, though, that the, the more radical, and I hate to say it, but the more wrong are far more active than the people who know? Like they, I think the average person just says, hey, my kid's supposed to get a vaccine because measles was a horrible disease. And I don't want my child to have a horrible disease. So I'm, I'm okay with the, the angry emails. Just just take care of your kid. I, I think every email we get, we send them a picture of an advanced case of measles and say, oh, well, if you prefer this. I mean, this is, see, again, this is a real thing versus, you know, falling off the rim of the Grand Canyon, which I'm fine with. <laughs> I don't need a rim of the Grand Canyon vaccine. Like if you want to walk off the mm -hmm. edge of the Grand Canyon, see you later you know so right but in this case you're this is real and you're endangering a lot of other people when you do that so i think i'm hearing that we agree measles that's serious business we're not going to go out on a downer okay we don't want to get too heavy and have people leaving the podcast all upset yeah so this came across my timeline i think it came across yours people are freaking out about a man who was hospitalized because his apple ipods exploded in his ear his airpod the, his the airpod airpod his airpod okay let me let me take in. this one take for the it. young people barry you just showed your age exactly it's the eye something they're two plastic wireless AirPods. You put them in your ear. And this guy, they claimed that his AirPods exploded in his ear. So now people are worried that my AirPods are going to blow my brains up. He also had first degree burns on his penis and testicles. So my theory is he was using the AirPods horribly wrong. <laughs> Once again, it, you just at a certain point, you can't protect stupid people from themselves. If you go into the doctor and you say that my penis was burned by my AirPods. I mean, you, you're you're a doctor. Not that kind. You're not a medical doctor, but but you're a doctor who deals with stupid people. So so what's going on? Uh, what's going on? What's going on is that uh, this was clickbait. A great thing to keep in mind is where these things come from. All right. So this came from a place called Hustlers. That's H U Z. L-E-R-S somehow. Not to be confused with a great magazine I grew up with. That's right. Uh, and it's a satirical, it's a fictional entertainment site. And their whole goal is to get fake articles trending so that they go mainstream. They do pretty well. Apparently, they have over 400,000 visitors a month. We're not suggesting that any of our listeners go there, right? And they can always get the stuff they need. I mean, that picture that was with the article, you know where that came from? That came from... Whose the, ear was that? It came from the Indian Journal of Burns. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to subscribe to the Indian Journal of Burns? This whole story is bogus. Ladies and gentlemen, listeners, listen, this has been our first episode and you see how it works. They, they're going to tell you to be afraid of something. We're going to tell you if you really should be afraid of it or if you shouldn't be afraid of it. Speaking for me and Barry, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Go out, live your life, blow out your birthday candles, go to a national park 
Uh, and, and, and when Trump tells you something, just turn off your TV. Enjoy yourselves. Today is gonna be a good day. If you like what you heard, hell, even if you hated what you heard, hit the subscribe button and tune in every week. Give us a five-star review to help us rise on the charts. And if you want a really great read, check out Barry's book, The Culture of Fear, available at Amazon and bookstores everywhere, or follow him at barryglassner.com. And as always, if you hear news stories that make your hair stand on end or they sound like someone is trying to fill you with fear, send them to us at fearnotofficial.com or tweet us at fearnotofficial, and we'll see if we can uh, find the truth. Thanks for listening. Let us know what you're scared of. Fear Not is a Stone and Company Entertainment Production, hosted by Alonzo Bowden and Dr. Barry Glasner. Executive produced by Scott A. Stone. Produced and edited by Adam Everest. Written by Scott A. Stone, Barry Glasner, and Adam Everest. Alonzo writes stuff too. Don't believe him. Our sound engineer is David I. Legal Beagles, Loeb and Loeb. Crack accountants are 10 key accounting. Special thanks to Gary Brown, Betsy Amster, and Adam's imaginary girlfriend.